Hey y'all, Brandon here with the Sports with BJ podcast. Man, I got a confession to make to y'all. I love the feeling and the confidence I have after a fresh new haircut. And for the last two years, I've trusted all my hair and beard needs with Benita Love of B-Love Cuts. Y'all want to do a straight razor finish? She can do that. You want to get your whole face shaven, get that nice classic straight razor finish and smoothness? She can do that too. Hard parts, edge-ups, fades. She can do it all. Call her now, 770-906-4230. She does book up fast, so call her, text her right away. Tell her Brandon from the Sports or BJ podcast sent you down. She'll give you $5 off of your next service. And don't forget to check out the details tab of the episode here. Get all of her social media so you can follow her and stay in touch. Hey out there sports fans, welcome to another episode of Sports with BJ. It is official, we have a 2020 Masters champion and that is Dustin Johnson. Of course we're going to talk about that. We're going to recap the weekend that was in the NFL and point out some big things that happened there. Um, But of course the first thing that is on the minds of all sports fans this, this morning, you know, unless you're an NFL fan and your team, you know, that might be there too, but... The first thing that we got going on is the Masters. Dustin Johnson, he put on a performance. He broke the tournament record by two strokes previously held by two players. Most recently, it was uh, Jordan Spieth, I believe, who shot 18 under in 2016. But Dustin Johnson fired a 268, 268, uh, four rounds of par golf at Augusta National. It's a par 72. That'll net you a 288 tournament score. Um, but Dustin Johnson went ahead and and said, I'll take 20 off of that. And it was enough to win. He did have some competition by Cameron Smith. Uh, one of the most interesting stats I saw. Now, I'll think about this. Dustin Johnson shot 20 under par for the tournament. Wonderful. We know that. He won. That was the winning score. Cameron Smith set another Augusta National, well, a Masters tournament record. He was the first golfer in the history of the Masters tournament. 84 of them have now been played. He is the first golfer in the history of the Masters to shoot all four rounds in the 60s. Is that not crazy that that's not been done? You think of all the runs Tiger's been on. You've got Tiger with five jackets, Nick or Jack Nicholas with five jackets. You've got Arnold Palmer with a couple. You've got Gary Player with a couple. Seve Ballesteros, Nick Faldo. We could go on and on and on. No one has ever played the Masters and shot four rounds in the 60s. But Cameron Smith, young Cameron Smith from Australia, Aussie, Aussie, oi, oi, he fires four consecutive rounds in the 60s and still loses by five. Still loses by five. To Dustin Johnson, who shot 20 over or 20 under, that's crazy. That stat, when I when I saw that, it blew my mind. I could not believe that that had never been done. So congratulations to uh, Dustin Johnson. We didn't get much of a a post round interview. Amanda Balionis did her best, but just uh, Dustin Johnson could not stop crying, and that's huge um, for somebody whose mantra on tour is emotionless. I mean, he kind of just Neanderthals around the course, hits a shot, keeps on going, plays his next shot. You don't get much out of Dustin Johnson. 
at all. So for him to go into that post-round interview with Amanda Balionis and get choked up and not, I mean, he got two full sentences out. She got two questions in. Typically, that's going to be a five, six, seven question, two minute interview. But Dustin Johnson couldn't get through it. He was so choked up. So I was glad to see the emotion, the emotion from Dustin Johnson. Um, I think that that put a lot of things into perspective for everyone out there who thinks he just plugs along. He put in a lot of work to get to where he was. And keep in mind, he had to miss last year's Masters because uh, he fell down the stairs at the rental cabin they were in on property, uh, had an ankle injury. Um, and then he was ready for the Masters, but it got postponed. And then he gets it in November and he comes out and he stays and he grinds and he pulls out a master's victory. He is now a master's champion. Um, I've got to believe next year's episode when we talk about the champion's dinner, Dustin Johnson's going to have some interesting stuff for us. Uh, I'm ready to see that. Um, but congratulations to DJ. Congratulations to um to just the Johnson family. They've got a little one. And uh, did y'all see, I don't know, this is um, maybe just me, but in that post-round interview, I've never seen, right after Dustin Johnson, you know, the green was cleared, I've never seen a wife, a kid, a father, anyone run out of the crowd as far as Paulina did to get to DJ. And then... And then after she got done with DJ, she ran, his brother is his caddy. She, he was still putting the flag in the hole and was still at the very front of the green. And she ran all the way across the green, all the way across the green and gave her, I have never seen any patron of the champion, any guest of the champion run out on 18 and just own the place. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. She said, my man won. I'm a part of this too. Let's go. And that was awesome. And then when they were coming off the green and he was walking through the gallery, it was, um, it was funny. She would not let go of his hand and I was dying. He was trying to hug people. He was trying to shake hands and she would not let his hand go. And it was just, it was killing me. It was so funny. I'm sure there's video of it somewhere online, but watching it live was hysterical. She was just as much as part of that moment as he was. And um, it's just great to see. It's great to see when the significant other understands the magnitude of winning the Masters and how much it means and why it's important. Um, That's just awesome. So congratulations to DJ. Congratulations to his whole team. Um, The TaylorMade team giving him the equipment representing right there, TaylorMade. If you want to sponsor me, I've got your, I've got your equipment. It's, it's everything. I won't, you know what? I won't even charge you for advertising. Just send me a new driver every year. But anyway, congratulations to everything that, 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 that went into that victory for Dustin and, um, man, what a great, awesome experience. I did want to address something. A lot of, a lot of was said about how easy the course was playing. Um, I was on social all Saturday and all Sunday, just going through Twitter, watching live reaction. I love to follow the Tiger Tracker um, on Twitter and and all that. And people were people were really getting at Augusta for how easy the course was playing. So I got two points. Number one, it's important to know how golf courses are soiled and what kind of grass they use. Um, keep in mind, Augusta National is closed from May 
to November every single year. The reason behind this is that their greens, which are, I mean, you can say what you want about Augusta, the scenery, the pristine nature of every blade of grass, all of that. The pride and joy of Augusta National, and for me, what separates it from the other majors, are their greens. The undulation, the speed, they've got that subgrade irrigation system, aeration system where they can control the speed and the moisture in the greens. That is their pride and joy. And they use A1 pen or bent grass for their greens. That is a very, very cool weather grass. Okay. So keep in mind, they're normally closed from May to November because of that. So this weekend that they're playing this tournament, would typically probably be one of the first two, maybe three weekends the course had been opened for the for their golf season, for Augusta Nationals golf season. So they had to put together a golf course that's traditionally used in cool weather, and they had to start in August and September when it was still hot. The grass does not do well. The A1 Penn National bent grass does not do well in heat. So they had to keep it watered. They had to keep it, you know, shaded if they can. Make sure it doesn't get too much sun. Make sure that courses on the, the holes on the back side of the course don't get uh, the sun setting too early on them and, and doesn't let them, you know, get the moisture out of the greens the way they're supposed to. All of these things go into that, and, and they had to be doing those things through two months that the grass doesn't like it. And they also keep in mind the first major of next year in 143 days – from now till April 8th, it's 143 days. I did the math. Well, I quit Google searched, but it 143. In 143 days, they have to turn around and host another Masters tournament. So what the result of all of that is, here are your greens. They're going to let the greens grow and run a little slower than they normally do because you've got, nine, what was that, 112 golfers? for two rounds all over the green, plus their caddies, plus the superintendents, plus the greens, the groundskeepers, everybody walking over this grass. Then they make the cut. So for four days, you'll have all, you'll have 120 and then the 50 and ties that they cut to, they're on there too. That doesn't bode well for the grass. So yeah, they left it a little hairier. They left it a little thicker than they normally would. And because of that, there wasn't as much break to putts that we traditionally know the breaks to. Um, there wasn't as many um, balls that rolled off greens. And, and what you have as a result of that is that players can go at the flags. In a traditional Masters, if you come up, if you're, if you're trying to hit 148 because you know the flag is at 142, and you're going to assume that your ball is going to spin back 15, 17 feet when it hits the green just on natural backspin because that's the way Augusta is. If you plan on playing for 148 and you hit it 147, that's a margin of error at Augusta that can be the difference between having a five-foot putt for birdie and being off the green and chipping up and hoping to get up and down for par. It's razor thin. But when they let those greens grow and become thicker, now the balls stick and they don't spin back as quickly, so the, the players are able to hold the greens more. And when you can hold the greens, undulation and where the ball might go if it spins too much doesn't matter. 
because it's not going to be a factor in the way the ball reacts. So you can go more aggressively at pens and put yourself in more positions to make birdies. I mean, for crying out loud, after the second round, we had eight players at nine under. Eight players were at nine under, tied. And I mean, it's just, it's not the same Augusta. And number two, I was really glad to see Augusta National show its teeth when it came to Bryson DeChambeau. All we heard all week, he his distance is going to kill this course. His distance is going to eat this course alive. He said in one of his press conferences that um, with the way he was hitting the ball, the distance he was hitting the ball with off the tee, Augusta was a par seventy, a par sixty-seven to him. Anything anything over sixty-seven was over par. So Augusta plays to seventy-two. So that means that he's saying if he shoots even par, he really shot five over because he believes with his distance, Augusta plays to five under for him. No one else but him. And he barely made the cut. And he had an awful week. And he was always looking for his ball. He was hitting, he was hitting places on the course I didn't even know existed. And Augusta basically said, mm-hmm, why don't you go ahead and sit down, sip on this, and we'll see you next year, Bryson. It was fantastic, and there was talk going into the Masters that Augusta National was considering modifying the rules of the golf ball that could be used in the tournament to help counteract these crazy gains and distances that these professional golfers are experiencing. They were actually considering getting a ball that didn't get the spin that they're looking for, the ball speed, just so because Augusta National cannot be lengthened anymore. They had already went through major renos in the early 2010s. They already went through all that. They can't make the course any longer, so they were have to consider starting to modify the equipment that the players can use. It was amazing to see Augusta show its teeth and put distance, and specifically Bryson DeChambeau, in his place. I'm not hating on Bryson. I think the stuff he's done this year, he's he's won. You can say what you want about what he's doing and how he's doing it, but he's winning. And that's what his goal, that's his job. His job is to win golf tournaments, and he's found a way to do that. So I respect that, but I don't like the disrespect he gave to Augusta National. I didn't like that at all. So I was glad to see that. So those are my two main points and comments that I had towards the people who were saying Augusta isn't the same. Augusta was getting tore up and players were going too low. You got to understand why. If Augusta was able to be playing the way that it's going to, I tell you this, Dustin Johnson won the November, the 2020 Masters in November at 20 under par. I'll bet you right now that when Augusta is playing the way that Augusta plays, April 8th through April 12th, 2021. I bet you the winner is under 15 under par. Mark it. Somebody. I know I got I got three people viewing out there. Someone, mark that down. November 16th, 2020. Dustin Johnson, he won the Masters this weekend at 20 under par. And I'm telling you that next year when Augusta plays the way Augusta is supposed to play because the course is in the right season and the grass is in the right season, I'm telling you right now, 15, 15 under par will be the highest. It'll be under that. Five shots less than what it was this year or under is what the champion next year will shoot. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I see you in the comment. Thank you. Someone's got me over there. I love that. So that was my master's recap. A lot of great things. Um, how about Bernard Longer? 
63 years old, ever oldest man to ever make the cut, and he didn't just make the cut. He was two, three under par. If it was match play, he beat Bryson DeChambeau on Sunday when they played together. That was awesome. I mean, to see somebody that I watched growing up still competing and doing that, I mean, oldest player ever, he got that record by now one month and one day, but it hadn't been done since I think it was the 60s, they said, 60s or 70s. I don't remember the stat and who it was, but he broke that record. That was awesome. Um, the the news with Lee Elder, who's going to be starting next year, an honorary starter with uh, Jack Nicholas and Gary Player. Um, he was the he's the golfer who broke the color barrier um, at the Masters tournament. He was the first ever African American to um, compete in the Masters. And then um, Fred Ridley on Wednesday announced that he's the chairman of the committee of Augusta. Um, announced that. Payne College, a local um, HBCU, historic, historically black um, colleges and universities um, right there in Augusta, Georgia, um, they're going to donate two scholarships, um, one to a male and one to a female golfer each year in Lee Elder's name, and they started the Lee Elder Scholarship or Foundation or something um, that they're going to also finance. So that was great. Um, seeing Jack Nicholas and, and Gary Player hitting the, the traditional ceremonial tee shot that starts the Masters. That was beautiful, always is. Um, it was cute to see Barber out there with Jack um, wearing the white jumpsuit of the caddy and um, and being able to be there with her husband as she hit that shot, or as he hit that ceremonial tee shot. That was good. Um, but yeah, great, great Masters weekend. Obviously a tradition unlike any other was not like any other this year um, that we've seen in the past. It was definitely different. COVID definitely had its its hands in the way it was played, the way that it, the course performed against the field, um, and the way the field ultimately scored well on the course. Um, but great weekend, uh, and, and I look forward to, in 143 days, watching another four days of the Masters and seeing if uh, Dustin Johnson can defend. Uh, so we'll switch a little bit over here now. Um, the NFL, there were a couple things in the NFL that, that really shocked me uh, this weekend. Um, first, I'm going to start with my Washington football team. Uh, it really shocked me that, yet again, down 21 points, back they come. And if it wasn't for an early first-half missed field goal by D Dustin Hopkins and a, a rookie mental error um, in overtime uh, by Chase Young, Washington wins that game. Uh, that that shocked me. Um, even as a Washington fan, that, that really shocked me. Um, the Giants game, the Giants game shocked me. I mean, they handled the, they handled the Eagles well. And now they're right there fighting for the division lead. I mean, and one could make the argument that the New York Giants are playing better football right now than any other team in the NFC East, which not hard to do, but they're playing pretty good winning football. Um, you can't really take that away from them. So that was that was shocking. I thought Philly was getting to the point they were getting healthy. Some of their injuries were coming. Uh, some of their injured players were coming back. So I thought that was really key for them that they were already leading the division, and now they're getting their key players back. New York Giant or Giants said, "Nope, not today. We got to go." And they took the W with them. So good news there. Um, the Seattle game or the uh, Arizona L.A. Rams game. Uh, that was a good one. Is that who they played? I know that I know. I'm pretty sure it was Seattle. I think 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the Rams and the Cardinals. Bills and the Cardinals. Bills and the Cardinals. Rams played the Seahawks. Another good game. Um, but the Bills and the Cardinals, uh, yeah, Josh Allen goes 32 for 49 for 284. Um, Bills are 7-3. and three. Just running away with the NFC with the AFC East, Cardinals are six and three. They got a big matchup next week coming up with um, Seattle. Big NFC West uh, divisional game out there, um, so that'll be good to watch next weekend. Already setting up for some some good matchups. Um, getting ready for Monday Night Football here should be another good game. Uh, you've got Chicago or. Um, Minnesota at Chicago uh, should be a good game. I think uh, Dalvin Cook is going to get slowed down by the Bears' defense, and I just don't, with the weapons they lack, Kirk Cousins having to throw the ball to win a game, we don't like that. We don't like that. So um, a good football weekend. I didn't really see anything that, that stood out to me as crazy other than New England just beating Baltimore. Look, a lot... A lot's been said about Lamar Jackson and his inability or seemingly he's unable to throw the football. That seems to be the game plan of all the teams. If you can just make Lamar Jackson a thrower, you'll win the game. And that's what Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots did. I mean, I thought I thought it was going to be a game with two quarterbacks that can't throw the ball i mean you've got cam newton who is not the same i don't know what they did during his shoulder injury i don't know what they did or if he still ailed i don't know but cam newton cannot throw the ball this year just cannot throw the ball and lamar jackson apparently can't throw the ball either so this was looking and shaping up to be well who do you trust more to make a throw lamar jackson or cam newton and i think right now most people would take lamar jackson so Plus, the Patriots have been struggling. Stephon Gilmore's been out. Their defense is lackluster at best. It didn't really seem like a scenario that's set up for a good game, period. Like, not a watchable game, but I never thought the Patriots would come out on top. But I guess that's just the naivety. The, what is it? Naivety? My naivety? Um, that I believe Lamar Jackson can get out of this slump. Um, I, I just... I feel like he can work. He's only two years in. I think he's got the tangibles to be a good passing quarterback. But I think this goes to show how much they really didn't work on passing year one when he was a rookie last year. I mean, he was putting up video game-like stats. He basically was a video game. Um, so it, it, I think it's become pretty apparent that they didn't really try to develop his passing skills. I mean, when you're playing off of play action and Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown are wide open every single time you do a play action pass there's not much to really work on just make sure you don't fumble the fake handoff set your feet make a good throw right you don't have to worry about reading the defense you don't have to worry about um calling out the hot blitz you don't have to worry about calling out blocking assignments you don't have to worry about if they're playing zone if they're playing man is it cover two is it cover three is the safety blitzing is they playing press you don't have to worry about any of that now that he does it's not been a good year and, and I don't know if I can go to bat for him anymore. Um, I mean, at, outside of the game plan, New England just beat Baltimore last night, period. It wasn't they stopped Lamar. The, New England was the better team, 
and that was very, very evident. It's not a good, not a good week to be a Harbaugh, a Harbaugh brother. You got Jim getting beat by Wisconsin, humiliated by Wisconsin, and then you got John over here at Baltimore losing to Patriots on national television. Not a good week to be a Harbaugh, Harbaugh brother. Not at all. So that that was probably the only thing that really, really shocked me this weekend. And as far as like, oh my gosh, where'd that come from? Um, the Redskins thing, that's been there. I'm sorry, the Washington football team, that's been their MO every single game. They start slow, they come from behind, then they lose. Start slow, come from behind, then they lose. Speaking of starting slow and coming from behind, that was also the early season MO of my Virginia Cavalier football team. And that was not the case this weekend when they took on Lamar Jackson's alma mater and put a beating on them 31-20, 31-14-something. Um, I caught the highlights and the tail end of it because I was, you know, watching the Masters. But uh yeah, UVA, I watched uh the second half for sure. Uh Brennan Armstrong, I'm not sold on him. Um he looks like he's intentionally trying to be too much of Bryce Perkins. He he looks to run a lot. He looks to just take off, I feel, too early. It's like as soon as he gets in his set, he gets one glance, and then he's gone. And he's not Bryce Perkins. He's got great athleticism, but he's got such a good arm. He could be so much more deadly if they respected him as a passer and not as a runner. He'd be a much more effective runner. The thing with Bryce is that you could plan him to just be a runner, and he was still going to run circles around you. Period. You couldn't. He was amazing. Brennan Armstrong's not that on the on his feet. Not to me. Um, he just he looks to take off too quickly. I'd like to see him stay in the pocket more. I love what we're doing with Simpson and Talapapa. Um, Ronnie Walker getting sprinkled in there a little bit. Um, Noah Taylor. Noah Taylor made UVA history, 86-yard touchdown reception for UVA's first, uh, it was a pick six, UVA's first score of the game, pick six, and that was the longest interception return in UVA history for a touchdown. That ended up being a touchdown. So congratulations to him on making that history, and congratulations on Bronco. Was that three in a row now? Started with, uh, now two in a row started with uh, UNC, then should have played Louisville, but they had the COVID outbreak, so we got a second bye week. Played them this weekend, and now they, uh, yeah, now they're on a two-game winning streak. They got Abilene Christian coming in. They got Boston College. Um, they might they have Wake. I don't think they have Wake, um, but yeah, we could we could be where we need to be up in Charlottesville. Um, I always trust Bronco. Uh, I think Bronco is exactly what the program needs, and his devotion to learning and to God, honestly, um, that's gonna that's gonna put him in a great mindset to be a great leader. And um, what a great time for UVA athletics! I mean, you got Carla leading the pack as the athletic director, and you got Tony Bennett and everything he's done for the basketball program, which is right around the corner. And I cannot wait, cannot wait. Um, but you got Tony Bennett leading the basketball program. You got Bronco leading the football program. Um, the young lady that they just hired uh, for basketball, I think this is her third year. Um, I'm blanking on her name right now. 
but um, they've got just such great coaches. The softball team just got the new stadium, um, the new facility. We've got uh, Disharoon Park at Davenport. That baseball facilities are great. Um, the master plan is starting to come together. Our football facilities are getting to where they're going to be state-of-the-art and top-notch for recruits. Just a great time to be a UVA fan. If you're not a VAF donor already, Virginia Athletics Fund, get on it. Get on it because we are going places, and um, they could use your help to get there for sure. But, man, what a great time to be a UVA fan. See someone come on, bring on one of our – one of our viewers out there commented, says, bring on basketball and CTB, Coach Tony Bennett. Yes, I'm ready for it. Bring on Sam Hauser. Bring on my Kihei. Bring on my Jay Huff. I love Jay Huff. He is, if he's not Gumby playing basketball, I don't know who is, but I love him. His intensity, his passion, I love it. Um, we got a lot, a lot to look forward to. Um, I've been reading a lot and watching some videos, and I can tell you right now, Coach Tony Bennett's got a stable this year. He has got a stable. Um, eight players at least that could be in the five-man rotation as a starter. He probably's got. He probably has two squadrons. Just kind of not not to the effect that Calipari did. Calipari did back in 2014, 2013. Um, but he could have a legit. He could go five in, five out on a substitution and still compete with just about any team in the ACC. We've got three preseason award watch lists. Sam Hauser for the small forward of the year. Kihei Clark for point guard of the year. Jay Huff for power forward of the year. A lot of good stuff going on for UVA basketball. We open that here soon. Uh, Bubble Town, Bubbleville is what they're calling it down there in Orlando or up at Mohegan Sun. One of the two. I can't keep up anymore. Um, there's been so many changes in venues for so many events. It's just hard to keep up, but um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good season. Um, another fan question coming. Yeah, if y'all are watching out there, drop some questions in the comments. It's about time we started talking to the fans again. This is a live recording of an episode, so tomorrow this recording will be everywhere people can get their podcast. So yeah, give me some questions. I'll shout you out, and we'll talk some sports and see if we can't make you famous. Uh, Michelle asked, "Do you think?" UVA's preseason ranking is too high or spot on? Um, I think it's spot on. I think if we knew what we were going to get out of Sam Hauser, I think if we knew what UVA was going to get out of Carson McCorkle, um, if we knew what we were going to get out of Reese Beekman and Jabri Abdul, I think we would be number one. There's just not another team out there with the skill that returns what we returned. Um, so I think four was a spot-on preseason ranking for the Virginia Cavalier basketball team just because of the unknown. Um, you return Kihei, you return Jay Huff, you return Francisco Cafaro, Thomas Walden-Tensei, Tensei, Casey Morsell, um, the the other uh, the white boy with the floppy hair. He's my Cody Statman. You return all these key contributors that played significant minutes, and I'm talking 15-plus minutes a game last year. And Tony Bennett still had them in a position where I honestly believe they were going to win the ACC tournament. And fan bias aside, no one was playing as good as UVA was playing. I mean, they beat Duke. How? How did they beat Duke? 
it just, I mean, what Coach Tony Bennett did last year deserved with what he had in the loss. I mean, you think about that. Last year, they lost Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, and DeAndre Hunter. And Jack Salt. That, that, I mean, that was 80% of their points right there. And probably 60% of their rebounds. Just gone. And early on, UVA could not score. Their defense was holding them. Kihei Clark was averaging 39 minutes a game. We didn't have anyone to back up Kihei Clark. We didn't have a point guard that Tony Bennett could put in the system. Kihei had to play 39 minutes. And Kihei averaged four rebounds a game last year. Four. Kihei is 5'9". 5'10", if he doesn't braid his hair. I saw his new braids. I don't know how I feel about it. But 5'9", on a good day, and the the kid averaged four rebounds, 10 assists, 12 points. I mean, he was everything. So you return that and replace it with Sam Hauser, Casey Morsell, Reese Beekman, Jabri, Carson McCorkle. I don't think that it was too high of a ranking. I think it was spot on because a lot of people wanted to vote UVA one, but we haven't seen a product. So yeah, I think I think that was spot on. Um, ACC tournament or ACC Big Ten challenge coming up. Um, that'll be right there at the beginning of the year as well. A lot of good matchups in that one. A lot of good matchups on that one. Um, UVA gets its rematch with uh, its long-awaited rematch with uh, Michigan State and Tom Izzo. Man, is it not a shame? Is it not a shame that we're not going to be able to have fans in the JPJ for that game? I mean, you talk about you talk about a waste of money. I would I would drop a paycheck. Two, maybe three. I would forego Christmas to go and be in the JPJ in that environment watching Tony Bennett and Tom Izzo battle it out. And for the fans, that atmosphere is going to be electric. I've said this before in, in another podcast, but those, those kids that are on that floor are not going to feel the same pain that we as fans feel. They weren't there on those teams that bounced us from the Sweet 16 and bounced us in the Elite Eight. They weren't there for that. But those fans and those students, they know. They know. And throughout the week, they're going to hear it. They're gonna, the players are going to know. And that environment is going to be on fire. On fire. And I just cannot believe the last, all the years we've been asking for it. You give it to us in the year where we can't go see it. Come on now. That's just, uh, it's unfortunate. But I'm looking forward to that game. The Duke-Illinois game, I think, is going to be a good game. A lot of people are like, what? Then you've got um, UNC playing Iowa, I believe. Yeah, because... the um, Kennedy Brooks returns for UNC and Lou Garza return. Luke Garza returns for Iowa. It's going to be a, a good battle inside in the paint. I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, yeah, basketball right around the corner, right around the corner, and um, can't wait. 
and shoot, the NBA will be right back up again before we know it. They just got done, and they'll be right back there again. So it's going to be a good time. Going to be a good going to be a good winter season. Um, that we'll just be able to sit back and enjoy and watch Tony Bennett coach another another team that we'll fall in love with. I mean, has he? Let's be honest. Has Tony UVA fans that are listening out there? I see all. I see a lot of y'all. Has there been a team that Tony Bennett has been? We'll, we'll take year one off. We'll take year one off because that was an inheritance year. But years two through eleven now. Is there a team that he's put together that we haven't fallen in love with? I, I can't think of one. I, I can't think of a team that he has had that hasn't had a player or more that I've been in love with. My tiny boy, Tevin, Tevin, he was awesome. Anthony Gill, Darian Atkins, Akil Mitchell, Mike Toby, Evan Nolte, the Noltster, Evan Nolte, Malcolm Brogdon, Devin Hall. Uh, what was the boy? Joan, Jones. Tevin Jones, Sammy Zaglinski, all of, I mean, I mean, Jack Salt, I love Jack Salt, um, I hope, you know, Jack Salt was, uh, there goes my dog, Jack Salt was probably one of my favorite players, um, I've never seen someone give so much effort in so little words. And and the way that he just did his job was phenomenal. I mean, I he set some hard screens. There's actually a YouTube montage of Jack Salt ball screens at half court or back. And he just clocks a guy and goes and doop, 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 right down to the block, coach. Pack line offense, I got you. Let's go. That I love Jack Salt. I love Jack Salt. All right, let's see if we got any more fan questions in here. We've been going for 40 minutes. It's not too bad for the first ever live broadcasting and having no script. I feel comfortable about that. So you got three people out there listening. I want to know who you are so I can shout you out. Who's who's listening? Hit me in the comment section. I see we got Michelle Johnson. Mama J, always supporting her babies. Always, no matter what they do. We love you, Mom. We got three more people out there, so two of y'all aren't even commenting. Someone tell me. Anybody? No? Okay. Nope. Drop down to one. All right. Well, if that's it, if no one else has any questions, that's um that's gonna do it for this episode of Sports with BJ, the first ever live broadcast of sports with bj episode um i'll probably do this a little bit more this was fun being able to see y'all's comments as it goes and and all of that so thank y'all for tuning in thanks for watching and make sure that you uh check out the recording that'll be posted from this episode going live tomorrow all right we'll catch y'all next time on sports with bj